Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From the French Press in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Maida, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Maida. The term Silicon Bayou has been around for some time. It's the promise of a new economy for Louisiana, sometimes thought of in New Orleans and also out here in Acadiana. And this area has always been the frontier when it comes to business, and that attitude was put on the map by oil speculators that came to be known over the years as wildcatters. And that's really another way of saying entrepreneur. These are the risk takers, the folks hunting for the next big idea and hoping to strike gold. My guests today both work in the world of startups, the new business frontier with a different kind of wildcat. Kyle Boudreau, more often called Skip, got into the startup world early. By 25, he was CEO of Fuzzy Buns, a cloth diaper company that made it to Shark Tank. He went on to work in the world of investment capital, and he recently launched the first venture capital firm in the area called Acadian Capital Ventures, Skip. Welcome to Out Yeah, thanks, Christian. Bill Dalton has worked in web since the dot-com boom. And he launched Firefly Digital in the late 1990s with his partner, Mike Spears. The company was one of the first agencies in the area to build and design websites for business. And people still called it the World Wide Web back then. Firefly Digital incubated the startup Smart Choice Technologies to a successful exit in November. It's now, now the company is rebranded as Firefly Marketing. And Bill's team provides full-service digital marketing for clients near and far. Bill, welcome to Out to Lunch. Excellent, Christian. It's great to be here. Bill, um, I want to circle back. So you've been in this business for, for a while. So you, like I said, you, you kind of like were there when that dot-com bubble burst and things have really changed, I would imagine, in, in your world. Like you guys work on CMS, meaning uh, content management systems, the ability for people to put blogs and content on the web. Um, I mean, how do you guys stay viable when you have things like Squarespace and WordPress coming into the market? What's, what's happening there? One thing's for sure in the, uh, in the web and technology industry. If you're not looking for the next opportunity, in other words, we actually know that five years from now, we'll be making majority of our money from something we probably haven't even invented yet. Uh, we, look, we look at product opportunities like Smart Choice, uh, to as well as developing new service lines uh, that are yet to even be conceived of. Uh, that's important that you look ahead because if you really aren't growing what you're doing, you're definitely going to fall behind. How do you look ahead on something that like, you're fundamentally just uncertain about, right? Like when you're saying like, man, I mean, in 10 years, we're going to be in an entirely different business, let's say. Like our, our product is going to be a different thing. That seems like a, a really fragile position to be in. Like any entrepreneurial uh, spirit, you learn to listen. You learn to listen for the problems. When you hear somebody complaining about, oh, I wish I had this. Is there a way I could just get this going? Right now, our big focus at Firefly Marketing is to go ahead and take this, all these streams of data that Peter get, people are getting and to turn them into a much more live and integrative report card so that any owner of a business, along with a little bit of consulting come along, can go ahead and make sure they get a great picture of what they have as opposed to trying to have managed five or six different social channels. What does that report card look like? I mean, are you describing sort of like a, like a dashboard I mean, I, you know, I run a small business. I'm kind of curious, like, what yeah. does this thing actually do? Like, how does it streamline my process? A lot of it starts with the goals. 
you want to make sure that you've got uh, a good goal set established for yourself, so that way you are able to go ahead and uh, ascertain over time uh, the, the whether or not the goals are being achieved and what uh, what maybe A/B testing needs to be applied. Uh, the report card could be uh, definitely looked at as a dashboard, but to me, it's very live and interactive because you can change a lot of factors at one time uh, to go ahead and make sure that you're really getting a good picture. For the uninitiated, it could be a little complex looking, but over time, we find most of our clients after about the third or fourth meeting really begin to get in there and play with it themselves to find uh, where they think we could go ahead and help, help them out. Have things really changed in terms of what clients expect from sort of, you know, web design companies when you're coming in and saying, you know, um, I would imagine, say, in the late 90s, people are basically coming in and saying, like, get my brand on the Internet, right? And now you have sort of an expectation that, you know, I, I may not have to, like, go to somebody and say, can you fix this thing on my, my front page? Can you, you know, uh, can you, like, get this blog post up? I mean, what's really changed in terms of what people expect from you? The biggest thing I've seen changing is, you know, it's so, so crazy, you know, Easily five years ago, you know, everybody thought about their website as what's on their computer. You know, absolutely now mobile is positively the first gateway step. If you don't have a great mobile website uh, site on your uh, on your phone, uh, both on Android and iPhone, you are way behind. This is where your customers are going to see you first. That's been something that is is a, is a critical uh, uh, transformation that we want to make sure all of our clients are getting on first. Then you need to go ahead and consider where are you really getting your message out and how are you filtering it to make sure you're able to go ahead and stay in with the trends that your customers are interested in. Yeah, okay. Skip, you launched Acadian Capital Ventures to fill in a capital gap. That's my understanding. And there's sort of like a small startup ecosystem here. But what I take is that your idea is that there's a whole lot of buried treasure, say, between the coasts. Like that that VCs, let's say venture capitalists and VC firms, tend to go after stuff in New York or they go after stuff in, you know, kind of around Silicon Valley. You know, why, why are you so confident that, you know, there is... Uh, there's, you know, there's something in their hills, right? Like something that you can go grab, say, in Milwaukee. Or- right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not so much that they go out to, to deploy there. It's the fact that that's where they exist currently. And so you'll see in the national market, uh, it's almost like bifurcated, right? So you have the East Coast and you have the West Coast. Uh, in those areas, the supply demand of investment capital is just... It's it's flopped from what it is here, right? So, for example, we're at a VC event talking to uh, one of the attorneys from uh, one of the big funds over there, Peter Thiel's fund, and he said he looked him in the eyes. He said, "Skip, you don't understand. There is unlimited capital." And so, what he, I said, "What did you mean?" He said, "Well, you got the Saudi funds, the Kuwaiti funds, the sovereign wealth funds. SoftBank is a hundred billion dollar fund." And so over there, like it's so backwards. They'll have companies that uh, will come them. The teams will bring the legal to the legal department at 10 a.m. and say, "We need this turned around by one because that's the wire deadline. And if we don't do the deal, someone else will do the deal." So they're just fighting for these companies. And what's happening is you get very founder-friendly terms that are driving up the valuations. Uh, and sometimes it's just not profitable. It doesn't make sense take that to the other side of the country or in the middle of the country, it's, it's flipped, it's backwards. So you have all these companies and good ideas and entrepreneurs that are, um, that, that just have something special, but they, they don't have access to capital, right? So unless you have a rich uncle or really well connected, they just kind of like die on the vine. Um, and, and so what, what we did and we looked out to do is, is provide those areas with capital um, and we figure that 
we can help communities like Lafayette or like Milwaukee. Um, I don't know why I picked on Milwaukee. It's sure. just the first most Midwestern right. place I could think of. Right, but of. we can help those, those communities have good startup companies. Um, and at the same time, we can take advantage of the inefficiencies in the market, get those companies at good valuations, and make money off of that arbitrage ourselves. So, so how are sense. you pairing capital, let's say, like where is the money coming from, the investment money coming from, and then finding you know, these companies that I take it are not necessarily in your backyard, right? Like, so how are you actually making those connections? Who, who are your funders and who are, who are the people you're giving that money to? Right, so um, the way venture capital works is uh, venture capital fund has uh, investors, they're called limited partners, and they give money to the fund, and then the fund deploys that capital and tries to generate a return for them. Right, and so they're kind of two base, uh, two bases of um, of entities, right? And so I always tell the story. I think I must have told you the whaling story, like the history of venture capital. Well, let's let's go over the whaling story a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I think that's a good a good way. So, of like, it. all right, all right. So, venture capital uh, in the United States, it's beginning. I don't know if you know this, Bill. You probably have heard this. In uh, <laughs> whaling, right? So back in like the 18th century, people lit their homes with the most efficient energy that they had, and that was whale oil, right? And so uh, the way they get it is through whaling. So whaling was extremely popular, extremely valuable, but super risky, right? And so, for example, there's a town where they kept records, uh, New Bedford, Massachusetts, and out of the, in the 18th century of like, I think it was like 787 uh, voyages that went out, 272 were sunk, caught on fire, uh, mutiny, kind of Moby Dick, right? They're, they're done. And so what happened is these wealthy families would look at this and they say, well, we want, we want to invest in this uh, whaling expedition type of thing because we want the returns that are coming from whale oil, uh, which are, they were like 60% year over year for like a, a long period of time. But they didn't want to take the risk of outfitting a boat and um, picking the captain and charting where the whales are and doing all that by themselves because you, you deploy all this capital into one shot, it goes out uh, and then it, it gets sunk and you lose all your money. So that's whenever these agents came in. So these agents came in, your modern day venture capitalists, they would pull the money from a, a bunch of different families and they'd say, how about this? We pull all your money, we'll go out, we know all the captains, we know, we're, we're plotting where the whale pods are. Um, and we'll go out and we'll deploy a whole bunch of whaling expeditions. And if some sink, that's fine. But the ones that make it back, uh, we're able to get the uh, capital that's returned from there and then deploy it back to the family. So it's a way of, of, of spreading out risk, right? And so if you take that and bring it to Louisiana back in the 50s, in the wildcatting days that you alluded to, uh, it's, it's kind of the same thing, right? So, um, you know, back in the wildcatting days, you drill... 10 wells, seven out of 10 are gonna be dry. You don't make any money off of it, but the three that you hit pay for the seven that were dry, right? And that's just kind of like the, the risk reward standpoint. So we knew that instinctively here. And so in Lafayette or in Louisiana, like we still have that culture of, look, we're gonna go out, we're gonna try to put a hole in the ground, try to get oil. It's super risky, but if it hits, we're gonna strike gold. And so you don't just drill one well, you drill 10 or 20. That was a long way of venture capital. I, I think it was very, like, it was as concise as you needed it to be. Uh, <laughs> Bill, gonna, I'm, I'm curious, like, I mean, something that you're kind of alluding to, right, is this idea that I would imagine concepts or companies or startups, however people really want to call it, things like smart choice technologies, right? Um, but there are companies like that 
right, that may have not had access to a person like Skip or a fund like Skip. I mean, was that the experience in terms of like getting that started? I mean, is this something that would have changed where the company went? I mean, is, is, I guess I'm asking, is, has, does your experience sort of jibe with that feeling of, yeah, we don't really have those kind of assets? Smart, smart Choice was completely homegrown, home done, and it was tough. Would it have been a lot easier if we could have gone ahead and actually hooked up with Skip and probably find, found that capital? We probably would have, but at the same time, it was, uh, we got very lucky and not, that's the kind of luck that a lot of people don't have. That we, did, we were blessed with great product, great people, and a, and a great community to be in. We were able to find great, uh, great staff and resources in terms of human capital that uh, allowed us to go ahead and grow the, the Smart Choice product to four and a half million students and you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of schools uh, that, uh, that went ahead and allowed us to, to grow it. Uh, it would have been a lot easier to have Skip in our backyard. So, so to that point, we actually saw Smart Choice. I don't know if you want to keep this or not, but we actually saw Smart Choice back in like 2016, 2017, around then, but we were very nascent in our structure and our professionalism and institutionalizing of capital. Right? When you say we, do you mean, obviously oh. it wasn't Acadian Capital Ventures, no, 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 it wasn't it was around. Acadian Angels. Okay. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Acadian Angels is our local angel network that kind of we spun out of. Um, so in Angels, just to be clear, are, are investors that invest at a, kind of a lower level than, say, venture capital. Correct. Right. Okay. Yep. Yeah, sure. Yep. Go ahead. Um, but we looked at Smart Choice, but we didn't have at that time the ability to run the deal ourselves and really package it in a way that's smart for the company. You have a lot of people who are doing like these country club deals who will fund these uh, fund these companies, but they do it with just such um, overbearing terms or just they don't know the next steps. And so you end up doing more harm to the company than good. We weren't at that place at the time when we, when we saw you guys. That's really interesting. So, I mean, like a lot of it is not necessarily about a lack of money, let's say, like money to deploy, to put into a company like that, but sort of like the, the know-how of setting up these kinds of deals to sort of make a conduit to the business itself in a way that actually helps it yep. succeed. One of the great adventures in this sale was how our little homegrown uh, entrepreneurial company then had to mesh with the West Coast accounting the West Coast, uh, you know, <clears throat> apparently the way we did sales, marketing, and accounting was completely on another planet. From what the, the, every, At every turn, it was like, wait, you did this how? You booked revenue how? And it was so interesting because we were just so used to do our homegrown ways of doing it. And we did a great job, I think. But it was definitely, I think they were even more amazed at how successful we had become with the way we were running it on our style, hmm. uh, then, then they were like, wow, the way you did it, you still did all this, this is incredible. <laughs> so it was, it was quite the adventures, the meshing of the, of the, of the small entrepreneurial side, integrating with, uh, apparently standards of accounting are a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, something that I'm really curious about, because you mentioned that you felt like when you, you know, whether it was Firefly Digital or, or Smart Choice, that you guys have had access, you know, you called it human capital, which is another way of just saying talent, right? For, and, and, you know, I get mixed signals from people on this in terms of like, you know, I interview people and people say like, no, Lafayette's got a lot of great talent for this stuff. Or they'll say, Katie, well, you know, they have some talent, but a lot of it, they, they, they go to other places. They go to Austin, they go to Atlanta. I mean, what's been your experience in terms of the talent pool and your ability to leverage people? Acadiana is just a wealth of great talent. Our university here consistently kicks out. That doesn't kick out. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> 
our university here constantly graduates talent that is ready and eager to come to work, okay? And yeah, some of them are going to head to Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Houston, Chicago, Atlanta, but a lot of them like being here, and a lot of, lot, lot of them love Acadiana. And so uh, uh, probably the most unique thing is that some of our senior staff who've been with the company now for you know 20 years or 15 years, okay, uh, we're, we're now integrating with people who are coming straight out of college, okay? And so there is a little bit of a, of a, of a wildcat uh, 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 spirit in them that we have to kind of work with and mold, but it's so exciting and it's so neat because people who graduate, as I call it, from Firefly and go on, uh, it's neat. Some come back and and say, wow, I was out of there in another company. I can't believe you know you guys really do it well. And others just love giving us updates about where they are in their careers. And it's uh, it's one of the best and most rewarding parts about being a business owner at Kadiana is working with the young talent. So do you find that like if folks are coming through your business and they're kind of cutting their teeth and they're graduating and they're moving on? I mean, is that kind of like, is there a place for them to land often in Acadiana? Like when they get to the point like, you know what, I'm ready to, to do, it's like kind of the idea, right? With like, and I know this is not quite applicable, but like you have like all the little Google companies that came out of Google, like people that kind of like came up and then they went and they did something else. Yeah, the Delionaires. What happens to people <laughs> in Austin? Yeah, I mean, like, what? I guess my question is, is like, are are, are those folks it's like all did your It's all across the board. It's all across the board. Yeah, sure. yeah. Uh, many of them will will stay uh, will stay here in Acadiana, uh, but certainly, you know, we have uh, we have a couple who uh, actually one still works for us and lives in Austin. Okay, uh, we well, yeah, you can work anywhere. right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. you can work anywhere, and if you provide a good and a good and uh, encouraging environment that uh, allows you to grow, uh, that's when people really want to stay with you and say, "Yeah, I'm looking for that new opportunity to, to of a lifestyle in Austin." But I want to say it. So we're we're we're, we're thrilled that we've got people who uh, want to be still be with us, even though they're in other markets. Amazing. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mater. I'm talking with marketing CEO Bill Dalton and investing consultant Skip Boudreau. We'll be right back. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mater. I'm talking with Skip Boudreau of Acadian Capital Ventures and Bill Dalton of Firefly Marketing. All right, uh, Skip and Bill, I want to take a break or at least kind of switch gears a little bit. This is a segment we call the job I almost had, right? So somewhere out there in another dimension, there's a universe where you kind of made some different choices and there was that whole butterfly effect thing. And then you land in a completely different career. Like to give you an example, I might have grown up and been Paul McCartney, right? Um, that would have been my ideal career choice. Um, so I'm going to ask each of you to sort of tell me what that other job was. Like if everything had sort of bent in another direction, where, would you th- where do you think you would have landed? Man, my whole life is defined by butterfly moments. And I, and I don't, I don't want to make sure it doesn't go on too long. No, uh, go that, for that, it. That, yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, my butterfly moments are incredible and powerful because um, uh, uh, they, they, and I'll put pauses between so they can no, be just, well. but, yeah, uh, like, like Skip said, me, let it rip. Meeting, meeting my wife could be defined as a butterfly moment because uh, in 1985, I helped a guy stay in the honors program where then he went on and proceeded to meet his wife. And because he was from New Orleans, moved back to New Orleans five years later, she's a guidance counselor at Mount Carmel High School. She then tells my future wife that you need to go to UL Lafayette. And at our wedding, she's invited and tells us if, if, you, if she hadn't told me to go to UL Lafayette, we wouldn't be married. And I look and I see her husband is John, who wouldn't have been in school to meet his wife, <laughs> to tell my wife to go to school where she met me and we fell in love. Yeah. So that's one butterfly okay, moment. That's but, in terms of, but in terms of a professional butterfly moment, there's, a, there's several. There's that, that moment when I'm standing at, at Kinko's getting some copies for my communications class and I ask the manager, are you guys, I just asked the manager, are you guys hiring? At that point, it completely changed my life because Kinko's hired me. I got introduced to the Macintosh computer system, desktop publishing. That led to me 
being coming the, the, the top desktop publishing consultant for ad agencies to get them integrated on Macintosh in, in Acadiana, which then led to me beginning to do uh, uh, 35 millimeter slide creation uh, for presentations, which then led to service bureau work of, uh, of servicing all the ad agencies of Acadiana, which led to me meeting Mike Spears, which led to me uh, going into Firefly uh, Digital with him, which led to Smart Choice, which led to Firefly Marketing, and me being right here with you guys because I asked a woman, "Are you hiring?" Okay. And so when it, you were standing at Kinkos and you're like, "Are you hiring?" I mean, did you envision a career in your life where you were like, well, "Maybe I'll manage a Kinkos?" I was. I, mean, I was debating: Should I go get an MBA somewhere? Do I want to go do? I, I. I had absolutely no direction in my life. In one little sentence, one little question suddenly my entire life fell into, into place. And it's, uh, it's, it's pretty shocking when a moment like that happens. Um, another one was when I had to make a business transformation. Uh, Kathy Pavi, who, who is a, a local uh, uh, branding expert and marketeer, uh, she was with an ad agency at the time called BBR Creative. And she used the, my business to, uh, to, uh, to, for, for service bureau type asp- uh, for service bureau type work. And uh, one day she said, you know what, Bill, I don't, I don't think I'm going to send you that file to print out. I'm just going to email it. And when I heard that one sentence, just going to email it, I knew my business, as it currently was, was going to be over in three, to, three years, probably, or less. Hmm. Because the internet was changing things so rapidly. At that point, I needed to look at another opportunity. Where am I going to be? Where am I going to go now? Am I going to go become uh, a large format printer? That's one choice. I looked at that, and I considered the five-year possibility of that becoming a commodity, though. I didn't want to be in a commodity type business. I want to be in a business where I could really add value uh, with technology. And that's when Mike was like, let's get something going. Let's do something. I said, let's do it. I got the office space. I can incubate. We can bring the capital to this. You've got the branding. I've got the tech. Let's do it. And that's when we started making websites in Acadiana in 1998. Wow. So Skip, let's redefine this. Instead of like the job I almost had, what's your uh, standing in line at Kinko's moment? Where do you think you would have been if, if you hadn't uttered those <laughs> fatalistic words? Uh... I don't know if Terrison would like me saying this, but I, I think it's, this is probably right. So um, we'll see at the end whether or not she. Uh, <laughs> but Let her rip, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I was an electrical computer engineering uh, student at UL. Uh, so um, I was at home at my house, uh, my parents' house, and then my neighbor, Terrison Dupuy, owned Fuzzy Buns. And at that point, she, uh, her current developer quit or fired, got fired or something happened. And she came over to my house, or my parents' house with wine and just saying, you know, oh, the developer's gone. My mom says, oh, well, uh, Kyle could probably do that. And she came over and she said, look, I lost my developer. Can you help me with our web database development stuff? And I said, uh, yeah, of course I can, right? couldn't so (laughs) it was a Friday I taught myself uh, PHP and SQL over the weekend Uh, programming languages yeah yeah and then essentially you know give me the yeah give me the logins taught myself and then Monday I called her back and I was like yeah absolutely I could do this and at the time I was working for a uh, software firm in town that writes uh, software for chiropractors uh, easy biz and um, so at that point so just Terrison coming over and me just taking a job that I couldn't do led to, but then I, I mean, I built up the confidence, um, led to me working at Fuzzy Buns, uh, for web database development. Uh, at that point I went to UL, got my MBA, um, 
Fuzzy Buns went on, goes on Shark Tank, mm -hmm. and whenever you go on Shark Tank, even if you don't get a deal, once it airs, your phone blows up. And uh, whenever she w went to Shark Tank, they um, they kind of ran her pretty hard. It was it wasn't really a good uh, good thing. So she took a step back, promoted me to CEO of Fuzzy Buns. I'm running it as we're getting calls from these investors saying, you know, hey, I'm so-and-so from Boston Consulting Group. We mm -hmm. saw you in, uh, or Boston Investment Group, uh, saw you on Shark Tank. We want to take a look at your company. And so I had no idea, no idea what I was doing. I had to Google the term due diligence, you know? So I'm running the sell side process, um, you know, against these other investors who know what they're doing. Um, and then uh, from there, I just got bit by the bug. So whenever it was sold to some local investors here in Lafayette, um, it just completely switched everything. So the software kind of engineering side of it, um, I still enjoy it, but I knew I didn't want to be a developer. Hmm. So uh, I called the largest uh, firm in town, investment firm in town, uh, Aaron's Investment Partners, and I said, Mr. Aaron's, you don't know me, my name's Skip, um, but I want a job. And so he said, all right, come in. So I met with him, he said, you know, uh, after we talked for a while, if you could pass the test, you got a job. And so from then, uh, it kind of snowballed where now I'm working at Aaron's. Uh, Andrew is seeing all these private deals himself come in. And so I said, oh, well, I was on the other side of those. And so he lets me sit in in the meetings. I get to see how he evaluates the companies. And then we start building bandwidth to where now I'm looking for companies for him to invest in that are, you know, outside of the public market. From there, we find New Orleans Angels. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, look, if you're, if you're looking to join an angel group, call Pete Prados, uh, Alan Bear, Rick Fontova. They're starting one in Lafayette. Hooked up with those guys, and then it just kind of snowballed from them. So at that point, rather than being Andrew's representative, I started my research company yeah. so I can do this uh, research and diligence for, for anyone. Andrew became a client. The Angels became a client. At that point, we realized we're finding the companies, we're doing diligence on the companies, we're negotiating the deals, restructuring the deals, we're uh, keeping up with the portfolio of the companies. It, you just kind of scratch your head. We're going. We're doing everything a venture capital firm's doing, except writing the check. <laughs> and then at that point, we said, "All right, well, let's start a VC fund." And it so, all starts with a lady and a glass <laughs> of Chardonnay. Yeah, she's coming. She. she <laughs> She was a red wine drinker. <laughs> so it kind of feels like for both of you guys, there's like this element of like confidence preceding like this competence, right? Like the idea that like you just kind of saw an opportunity and you went for it. Absolutely. Right. And, and you know, people like, I, and I could, say, I could speak for this, you know, in, in my own experience, right? Like the idea that at some point you just got to make a decision and just do it. It kind of doesn't matter if you actually know PHP or like you really know where you're going to land if you like, you know, I'm going to get a job at Kinko's, right? Right. I guess that was more of a statement than a question. Um, it's the you know, finest statement, right? Ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Well so, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, what I'm driving at is, is, is like, I mean, it, it, it does feel like you guys kind of have to scan the environment for opportunity and say, like, well, define where I'm going to go. I'm going to plant the flag somewhere and then I'm going to go get it. The, I think the entrepreneur that's that's their sixth sense is opportunity. There's not a I. I think I probably create in my head probably. 12, 13 businesses a year in my head. And then some of them actually get on paper, four or five actually get on paper and actually start getting thought out. You know, and, uh, you know I, I have, you know, two or three businesses that I, I enjoy and are profitable and I got to file tax returns on, but besides Firefly Marketing, they're all great little things that are fun for me. 
They're very what enjoyable. Are those um, I have a uh, I have a property business that me and my wife run together. That's uh, we, we we find exciting opportunities and are able to go ahead and flip a house here and there and uh, maybe pick up. Uh, we also do property property tax lien investing in that as well, uh, which is a very fun thing. And then I have a, 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 some very odd uh, odd side hustles that uh, <laughs> that allow me to host some fabulous jazz fest parties that I probably can't even talk about in the air. Okay. <laughs> Feels like maybe there's a cloth diaper angle on that too. <laughs> oh man. Uh, what was the, who was the, well, you're, you're, no, mi- the, you're miming the, a bass with your hands, but I don't know what you mean by that. Who was the guy, uh, Funkadelic? Parliament? Like, Parliament, Parliament Funkadelic, Funkadelic and then the guy who'd wear the diapers on stage. You're t- are you talking about the Red Hot Chili Peppers? No. Okay. Oh shoot. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna Google it. Right okay, now so you're you're, this... you're talking about. So, I mean, you're talking about uh, God. Why is this killing me? And I like I was a musician for like ten years, and I should know this thing, and I don't. Um, George Clinton. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so he apparently were like wear diapers on stage and fucking yeah. We got a cease and desist from Fuzzy Buns. I wish I, I I wanted to say I tried to frame it or save it at the time, and I lost it during my moves. But we actually got a cease and desist from him because. We had the colors were Funkadelic colors, oh. and they were related to diapers. And they said, "Look, this guy wears diapers on stage and uses the term Funkadelic. You guys need to change the colors." It's also, like a, it's also like a fabulous publicity to actually take the lawsuit on, yeah, yeah. just for the publicity you could <laughs> have from it. There wasn't my Our point. diapers are funky, though. I'm not sure if that's a great promo. <laughs> that was a, that was a side note. But my point was to like Bill earlier when you were saying like. I don't know what our revenue stream is going to be in five years. It goes back to that kind of confidence of it's not about what you're doing or what the company's built for. It's like your culture is built on innovation and knowing that you're going to see opportunities and pivot to them. You know what I mean? Like, like you feel confident saying whatever it is, we'll find it because our culture is built to find these opportunities and pivot towards them. Is this like fundamentally different than how people understood business 50 years ago? I mean, like my image of this is that, you know, people kind of said like, hey, here's a thing I can make and I know how I can sell it. Here's the market. I'm going to do it. Right. And, and like we're going to build around. This we're has changed from like five, I say five, maybe 10 years ago, like business plans. I don't see any business plans anymore. Throw them in the trash. Like people are using like lean startup methodology, unless you're getting like an SBA loan, they still require them. <laughs> but like, like lean startup methodology of have an idea, uh, what's your value proposition, go try to find a market and you can, you can sell things before they exist now. Yeah. I still, I still think vision and goals and uh, building a great leadership team, probably some of the most important things that you can have in an organization. With, without an ability to get your group acting as one muscle, okay, to pull together towards those same goals, at that point, yeah, you, you've, you've, uh, when you can achieve that, that you've got a company that can go places. More often than not, uh, you know, ventures succeed because they offer something no one else has or fill a gap that other companies have overlooked, and that's the way of entrepreneurship Nothing ventured is nothing gained, as they say, right? So, Bill and Skip, you guys are really putting that saying to work with what you guys are doing. Uh, Best of luck to you both, and thanks for joining me today on How to Lunch Acadiana. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks. My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been Skip Boudreaux of Acadiana Capital Ventures and Bill Dalton of Firefly Marketing. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our Out to Lunch Acadiana social media. These photos were taken by Gwen O'Quinn. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. 
The producer of Out to Lunch Acadiana is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morell. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. Our researchers are Ann Christian and Maggie Mendel. Today's show is engineered by Kieran McIntosh. I'm Christian Mater, editor of The Current, Lafayette's community-owned nonprofit newsroom. For more great stories and conversation, check out thecurrentla.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter. I'll see you again next week for lunch here at the French Press in sunny downtown Lafayette. We'll explore the ins and outs of Acadiana business on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Until then, take care. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at the French Press in downtown Lafayette. Since 2009, the French Press has been serving Cajun brunch and providing custom catering for uniquely personalized events. The French Press is open seven days a week till 2 p.m. with dishes like Cajun Eggs Benedict and Sweet Baby Breezes. The Out to Lunch Acadiana theme music, Encore Monsieur, Nice Guy, is written by Mitchell Foreman and performed by Mitchell Foreman and Andre Michaud. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from the Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Cali's Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family-friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants. 